Okay, we want to continue our study on these one another concepts. And so I invite you to take your Bibles and turn to the passage which uh, Yang read for us. Uh, Matthew chapter 18, and we're going to pick it up at verse 21, and we'll work through this passage in addition to uh, an additional passage that has to do with the way in which we forgive each other. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to open our minds and our hearts to God's truth today. Father in heaven, uh, we do come before you today with thanksgiving. You are so good. You're gracious, you're loving, you're kind. Uh, you are our king, and you are the head of our church. And we're so thankful that we can come boldly before you, asking you to open our hearts and our minds to your truth, to give us insight and understanding into your word. Pray your blessing upon each one who is here, and I pray that your Holy Spirit might do a wonderful work in each of our hearts today. In the matchless name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. The church is not the society of the successful. It is the fellowship of the forgiven. I want to say this one more time. The church is not the society of the successful. It is the fellowship of the forgiven. Forgiveness is not an elective in the curriculum of Christian living. To the contrary, forgiveness is a core course. Its papers are written with pain, and its exams are tougher than nails. I agree with William Barclay when he made this statement, there is nothing so lovely, nothing so rare as Christian forgiveness. But the course on Christian forgiveness is not one that many of us rush to attend. We like those easy classes on love and joy and peace, salvation, Christian growth, hope, heaven. Those are the courses that we line up to attend. But when it comes to this matter of forgiveness, it's much like that concept of confessing our sins to one another. We're not so sure if we're going to sign up for that class because those classes are more difficult. Those classes are a bit more challenging. And though forgiveness is a quality that is difficult to develop, it is incredible to experience. Once you experience forgiveness, not only the forgiveness that comes when we put our personal faith and trust in Christ, but forgiveness, when there has been a rupture in a relationship, there is nothing greater in all the world than to experience that sense of, of freedom and forgiveness that comes as we take care of issues between ourselves and one, others, one another. Forgiveness really can become an oasis in a personal desert. And for Christ's followers, forgiveness means one thing. And that is this, God has a big eraser. I want you to think about that. God has a big eraser. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And when we confess our sins and when we get the record straight between ourselves and God, the Bible says he doesn't bring up our sins anymore. 
He forgives us. In fact, he removes our transgressions from us as far as the east is from the west. Aren't you glad God has a big eraser this morning? I mean, where would any of us be were it not for the fact that we come to him in faith believing and understand that he loves us and he cares for us and he longs to forgive us, but we need to take that first step of confession. And I want us to look closer at this matter of forgiveness, especially in terms of interpersonal relationships. First of all, I want us to look at an example of forgiveness. And this is found in Luke chapter 23 and verse 34. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. Christian forgiveness, I believe, reaches an apex at Calvary because it was there that the sinless, spotless Son of God forgave those who had falsely accused him. He forgave those that spit upon him, that harassed him, that mocked him, that ridiculed him. He forgave the ones who nailed him to a cross. He forgave the one who put a spear in his side. He forgave those that crushed a crown of thorns on his head. He forgave in a way that many of us will never fully be able to understand. And when we break this prayer down, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. We see that this is a very, very deep and personal plea of Jesus to his Father. First of all, we see that Christ forgives repeatedly. That word said, Jesus said, is an imperfect tense, which means action which took place in the past but continued on and on. In other words, Jesus, as he's hanging on the cross, as he was being mocked and ridiculed, he said over and over and over and over and over again, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. This was not just one statement. This was something that he said again and again and again. Father, forgive them. Father, do not hold this to their account. This is incredible. He keeps on repeating, Father, forgive them. Number two, he not only forgives repeatedly, he forgives pleadingly. It's very interesting that the verb forgive is an imperative Many imperatives are commands that we must do without delay, but this particular imperative is an imperative of entreaty. And it's as if he is pleading with his father, Oh, my father, oh, my father, won't you please, please forgive them? Won't you please forgive them? They do not know what they're doing. It's a plea he is pleading with his father to forgive these that have so mistreated him and nailed him to a cross 
He forgives repeatedly. He, he, he forgives pleadingly. And you see, Jesus had a tremendous heart for those who had hurt him, for those that had misunderstood him, for those that had done him wrong. And he pleads with his father, oh, my father, please forgive them. Number three, he forgives lovingly. What is it that causes Jesus to stretch out there on that cross and submit to that brutal practice of crucifixion? It's love. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only unique son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He forgives lovingly. And his love is not conditional. His love is unconditional. He forgives unconditionally because of the great love that he has for each of us. And then number four, he forgives forgetfully. That word forgive literally means to send away from oneself or to bid go or depart. Jesus bids go and depart any type of bitterness or resentment. He forgives and he doesn't bring it up again. He forgives and he covers our sins with his precious blood. And I believe that if we as Christ followers are to really model Jesus, even though this is difficult and it does not come naturally, we must learn to forgive one another as Jesus has forgiven us. We must stop keeping score and practicing one-upsmanship on those who have hurt us. We need to get put behind us feelings of bitterness and resentment. Jesus did that for us. If there was anyone who had the right to hold a grudge or to become bitter or angry, it would be the treatment that Jesus had received by the hands of sinful men, and yet he forgives. He, he does it in such a way that none of us can really fully grasp it. And I believe that forgiveness is godlike. And I believe that that's one of the reasons why so many of us have a hard time with it, because we are so unlike God. We are so human in our responses when we're hurt. And we hang on to things and we keep a record of wrongs. And it keeps us from experiencing the intimacy and the fellowship that God longs for each one of us to enjoy. So Christ is our model. Number two, what is to be the extent of our forgiveness? Forgiveness flows from Christ to us, and in turn, it is to flow from us to others. And our master's purpose is that we emulate the forgiveness he displayed at Calvary. And this morning, I want us to look at both sides of the coin 
of forgiveness. First of all, what is to be the extent of our forgiveness when we, when we have been in the wrong? Now, keep your finger there in Matthew 18, but turn over to Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. What is to be the extent of our forgiveness when we have been in the wrong? Jesus says in Matthew 5, 23, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there and in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Now, Jesus in these verses is painting a powerful portrait. A worshiper is coming to the temple to present his animal sacrifice to the Lord. The worshiper with his sacrificial lamb, he enters the temple. He passes through the court of the Gentiles, the court of the women, the court of the men, beyond the court of the priests, which no one can enter. He's about ready to present his animal sacrifice to the priest. The priest's hands are there to receive it. And he's about to confess the sins of that person on the lamb. And then the worshiper remembers that he is at odds with a brother or has wronged another individual. He recalls the instance when it took place. He remembers the harsh words that were spoken. He sees the face of the person he's offended. Maybe it's a business partner. Maybe it's his spouse or one of his kids. Maybe it's his ex. Maybe it was his neighbor or a relative. He knows there's a problem between him and that other individual. He knows in his heart that he's not really right with God. And what makes the pain so difficult is that he recognizes that he was at fault in the, dis, the, dis, or the misunderstanding that has taken place. Well, what should he do? Should he go through with the sacrifice and act as though nothing has ever happened? As if there's no problem between himself and his fellow man? Jesus says, no, stop. Keep God waiting. You're about ready to offer your gift. Keep God waiting. There will be some other times when you can come, but if you're convicted about being at odds with another brother, make sure you don't go through the motions of worship without making sure that you've settled the issue between yourself and your fellow man. And in verse 24, he gives us four crisp commands if we find ourselves in such a situation like that. He says, first of all, he said, leave your gift there. It's a strong command. It must be something we do right away. Get the situation resolved. Don't let it fester. Don't, don't put off something that you know you need to do, hoping that the other person is going to take the first steps toward you. You take the first steps toward that person. Number two, go first. Notice, again, a strong command. Jesus doesn't say, well, you know, keep that thought in mind and pray about it. Uh, just 
give it a few more days and maybe you can write that person a note. No, Jesus says if, if you're about ready to present your gift to the altar, let it go, keep the priest waiting, and go and get it resolved right away. Don't think about it, don't pray about it, get it taken care of. hard to do that all too often we talk ourselves out of getting this taken care of uh, we say well that person isn't going to respond I've tried in the past and it hasn't worked we, we are so good at talking ourselves out of doing what we know God wants us to do and so Jesus says go and the third thing he says is be reconciled and that word reconciled means to renew a friendship, to change one's mind. In other words, heal that which has been broken. You see, if you've said something to another person in anger, or you have responded to another person in a way that creates distance between the two of you, take some initiative and get it resolved. Don't let it go on and on unresolved. Unresolved conflict in the body is what keeps the Holy Spirit from accomplishing everything that he wants to do in our lives. And then he says, after we've been reconciled, then what does he say? He says, then come and present your gift. After the relationship has been Reconciled after you've taken these first steps and you've, you've obeyed the Lord in this important matter of getting this wrong righted, then you can present your gift and you can experience the blessing of God. Don't we want to experience the blessing of God? <laughs> Isn't that why we, what we long for as the people of God? And can it be that we don't experience the blessing many times because we have not taken those first steps to reconcile a relationship. Jesus is encouraging us here to model his forgiveness, the forgiveness of Jesus. Now, let's look at the other side of the forgiveness coin. How are we to respond to a person who wrongs us? We've just talked about if we've been wronged, how we're to respond. How are we to respond to the person who wrongs us? And here's the passage that we read this morning in Matthew 18, beginning at verse 21. Now, notice Peter asks the Lord a very penetrating question. He says, how many times, Lord, shall I forgive my brother, verse 21, when he sins against me. And you'll notice that Peter is a good listener and he allows the Lord to speak. I'm just kind of kidding here. He already has the answer. He doesn't even give Jesus a chance to speak. How, how, shall, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times. Now, Peter thought he had given Jesus a pretty good answer. And he's not really out of bounds in his response. Indeed, according to the rabbinic teaching 
A person must be willing to forgive a brother once, twice, three, but after that, according to the Old Testament, forgiveness is not to be offered. Now, the Old Testament book of Amos seems to support that teaching. And you'll read in the book, the implication is that God would forgive up to three times, but after the fourth infraction, he visits punishment upon the individual or the nation. And if you'll go through that little book of Amos, the key phrase is, for three transgressions and for four. For three transgressions and for four over and over again. Now, obviously, Peter thinks he has taken the high road. He suggests seven times where the rabbis only considered four times. So Peter feels pretty good about what he has said. But as far as Jesus is concerned, now Peter's way off. Jesus looks Peter straight in the eye and notice Jesus answered in verse 22, I tell you, Pete, not seven times, but 77 times, or more accurately, seven times 70 or 490 times. Now, you can't take that literally. He's just simply saying there's to be no limit to the forgiveness we extend to others. There's not to be any, don't put a limit on our forgiveness. Jesus says we must be willing to forgive those who have wronged us, no matter how many times it happens, we are to forgive them. Now, can you imagine the astonishment that must have come upon Peter when Jesus says this? You talk about hit, being hit right between the eyes. Can you imagine the rumblings that went through the rest of the disciples when they hear Jesus say, hey, Pete, you're way off base, not, not seven times, but 70 times seven. Can you imagine what that scene must have been? Jesus says, if you're going to really be a Christ follower, there's to be no limit to the forgiveness that we offer others. And to help Peter fully understand his response, Jesus uses a parable to illustrate that we as Christ followers are to forgive in order to enjoy forgiveness. Now, beginning at verse 23, he begins to relate this parable. And he says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents, that's like $10 million. It was a huge debt that this servant owed him, was brought to him. And since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that had be sold to repay the debt. I mean, here's a huge debt. But the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged. I will pay back everything. And the servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. Now, there are some interesting lessons that we can learn here. Here you see the generosity of this master. He has mercy on the one who owed him this huge debt, and he forgives it completely. 
and doesn't make a big deal about it. But what does that forgiven servant do? But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow, verse 28, found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii. That's like 20 bucks. So owed him a really small amount of money. And so what does this forgiven servant do? He grabs him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees, notice, and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But that forgiven servant refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. Instead of being thankful for what had occurred in his life, he treated the one who owed him a very small amount. He treated him very badly. Now notice, when the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Now, there are some painful lessons that we can learn from this. Number one, when word gets back to the king who had forgiven the one who owed him a huge amount of money, when he finds out that that forgiven servant didn't treat his fellow servant that owed him a small amount in like manner, he was upset. He was troubled. And notice what he says. Verse 32, then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers until they should pay back all that he owed. In the original, that word jailers means the torturers. He turned them over to the torturers because he refused to forgive. Jesus tells us that if we refuse to forgive and nurture grudges, bitter feelings, and resentments against others, that we ourselves, the ones who refuse to forgive, will be turned over to torturous thoughts, feelings of misery, and agonizing unrest within. The late Ray Steadman, in a message entitled Breaking the Resentment Barrier, says this, this phrase, the torturers, is descriptive of what happens to us when we do not forgive another. It is an accurate description of the gnawing resentment and bitterness, the awful gall of hate or envy. It is a terrible feeling. We cannot get away from it. We feel strongly this separation from another. And every time we think of them, we feel within the acid of resentment and hate eating away at our peace and calmness. This is the kind of torturing that happens when we refuse forgiveness. Let's be honest this morning. Who of us hasn't been tortured inside 
at one time or another because we refuse to forgive. Maybe it was a parent or an in-law or a spouse who we felt let us down. Maybe it was a close friend or a teacher who made a wrong evaluation of our work and we didn't make the honor roll. Maybe it was a business partner who ripped us off. Maybe we were the innocent victim of a power struggle. Maybe we were wrongfully treated, set up, manipulated, and even fired for no reason at all. And we are bitter and resentful and we will not forgive. Friends, the misery of refusing forgiveness is not worth it. It is not worth hanging on to that kind of stuff. We need to get rid of the poison of bitterness and resentment and turn it over to the Lord and experience the flood of his forgiveness. Listen to me very carefully this morning. The mark of a forgiven person is a forgiving person. The mark of a forgiven person is a forgiving person. And if we're unwilling to forgive, as Christ has forgiven us, maybe we haven't really experienced the forgiveness of Jesus ourselves. You see, forgiveness is something that God calls us all to develop in our lives. It's a hard course, but it is a course that leads to peace and joy. And life is too short, let me tell you. Life is way too short to spend one moment in bitterness or resentment because we are unwilling to forgive. We must forgive. And then lastly, I want you to notice in this passage, you'll turn over to Ephesians chapter 4, Jesus, or excuse me, the Apostle Paul says it very clearly. He says, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Notice the last few words. This is what makes that verse Painful. It would have been much better if he had just said, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, period. But what makes that verse hurt are these next words, as God in Christ forgave you. See, he's asking us to display in our lives something that only God can produce. And that is a forgiving heart. All too often we allow bad experiences, negative circumstances, difficulties with others to sap us of our joy. And we need to learn the secret that Paul says of being kind and tender-hearted and forgiving as God in Christ forgave you. You see, our model must not be other Christians. Our model must not be other influences. Our model must be 
Jesus. And as Christ forgives, so we are to forgive. And then the constitution or the temperament we're to develop is found again in the book of Romans, chapter 15 and verse 7. Therefore, accept each other just as God has accepted you for the glory of God. And in Colossians 3 and verse 13, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. Here it is again. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Aren't you glad this morning that God has a big eraser? Aren't you glad that God doesn't hold things against us? That God doesn't keep a record of our wrongs? That he forgives and he wipes the slate clean? All we have to do is to confess that to him and he'll blot it out. I love that bumper sticker that said a number of years ago, Christians are not perfect. They're just forgiven. Do you realize all of us are forgiven? We're all sinners saved by grace. And number two, a genuine flow of forgiveness in the body of Christ. When there is that flow of forgiveness. Well, let me tell you. That is Christ-likeness at its best. And I think all of us want that. All of us desire that, don't we? We want to experience the blessing of God more than anything else. We want to experience his presence, but all too many of us carry a bag of offenses, things that have been done to us that we don't like. Now, some of you may find some rocks in your pew this morning. If you have a rock, lift up your hand. Now, here's a rock right here. Okay, well, this is, I've been carrying this for a long time because, you know, this, this uh, uh, person that I've known for many, many years, uh, they ignored me. And for some reason now, they won't even speak to me. And I'm hurt. So I'm going to put it in my bag of offenses. Oh, we have another one back here. Oh, my. Oh, this, this is the offense that I've been carrying for a long time because my, my child was bullied at school, and I went and talked to the principal about it, but he didn't do anything. He just let it go, and I can't stand that guy. I'm going to put that one in my bag of offenses as well. We have any other rocks? Oh, man, you got a real big one there. Oh, my. Oh, my. I don't know if I can carry that one. Oh, boy, this is a big offense. This, this is what I was carrying when I was betrayed by my best friend. And my best friend started talking about me and 
well, we don't, we, we, we just can't get along anymore. And so I'm just going to carry this, this offense. I'm just going to keep carrying. Oh, here's another one. Where'd this one come from? Did somebody put it back here? Here's another offense. This happened when my wife and I, we had a little bit of a difficulty and you know, we can't seem to communicate anymore. And um, instead of getting that resolved, we just have kind of gone our separate ways. So I'm just going to carry that offense a little bit longer. Oh, here's another one. Oh, my, this bag's getting kind of full. And that's the offense that, that I had when I picked up someone else's wound. And, you know, it wasn't that I was upset. I just picked up my friend's wound, and I'm feeling bad, and I'm feeling bitter, and things aren't going very well. The problem with many of us is, is that we know we need to forgive as Jesus forgive, but we are content to carry this bag of offenses. And let me tell you, this bag of offenses really... It gets, gets hard to move. I mean, we lose our joy because we keep carrying this bag of offenses. And what Jesus wants us to do is take these offenses, throw them at the foot of the cross, lay them down. And experience the forgiveness and the joy that can come into our lives when there's nothing between us and the Lord and nothing between us and another fellow believer. Let's stand together, shall we please, for prayer. I don't know where each one of you are this morning. I know many of you have gotten rid of your offenses, but there may be some of you that are still carrying offenses and you need to surrender them to Jesus this morning. Whatever those offenses are, they're not worth carrying. And Jesus died on the cross and has forgiven you so that you in turn can forgive those who have hurt you. So whatever your need is this morning, just turn it over to Jesus. If you need to get reconciled with somebody, go and get reconciled. The Holy Spirit's talking to you about somebody that, that you need to get things squared with, get, get it squared, and experience the joy of your salvation. Father in heaven, we love you. You are so great. You are so loving and kind. Lord, help us to be tender-hearted. Help us to be more like you. We confess, Lord, that we're so unlike you. So many times we take matters into our own hands. We form value judgments about each other. Bad things happen and we hold grudges. We can't seem to experience the blessing of God like we once did because... We're hanging on this stuff that needs to be surrendered to you. 
And so, Lord Jesus, I pray that whatever we need to surrender today, that we would surrender to you. That we would experience the joy of your forgiveness and the joy of renewed relationships as we seek to emulate you, our Lord and our God. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and that sweet communion of the Holy Spirit be with you now and evermore we pray. Amen. Good morning. Maranatha, we'll see you at the beach in about 40 minutes. God bless you.